Zelensky show the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines prophecy and the deeper things of God now here is your host and time watchwoman Sheila Zelensky hello listeners and welcome to the September 14 2015 edition of the Sheila Zelensky show it is great to be with you folks as you've noticed, my voice this, <laughs> my voice today is, well, you should have heard it when I woke up this morning. It was really gone, and um, it started feeling scratchy when I went to bed last night, and when I woke up today, I didn't really have much of a voice at all, so I'm loading up on oil of oregano and all my grandma's remedies and taking echinacea, oil of oregano, which is nasty stuff, but... I'm loading up on everything, so I've got some organic throat lozenges, and uh, it sounds a lot better, but I'm standing in faith this thing is going to be healed, but in the meantime, bear with me as I muddle through this today. So, folks, if you have not picked up a copy of Green Gospel, please do so by going to greengospel.ca. As everyone knows, the Pope is coming to the United States of America at the end of the week. It is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. There is a lot of insanity unfolding before us. And joining me today is my good friend. And I'll tell you, this guy knows his geopolitics. He's also one of the men that was instrumental in bringing down Climate Gate. And he's been speaking out against the New World Order since way before I was born, it's my good friend, the renowned climatologist, Dr. Timothy Ball, to weigh in on what is going on. Tim Ball, welcome to the program. It is such a pleasure to have you come by and help make sense of all this nonsense. Welcome to the show, Tim. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you, Sheila. Yeah, it, it's um, very disturbing, uh, all of the things that are going on. Um, so much... Uh, of action and, and uh, movements by people, power movements, uh, control movements. It really is quite disturbing. And um, I was talking to some people the other day, and, and uh, there's a very mixed reaction to the, the, the current pope. Uh, of course, some people are being duped by him, in my opinion, and, and they think he's wonderful. And But there's an awful lot of people that are very deeply concerned about what what he's doing including by the way within the church itself there's all sorts of um stories coming out of the vatican of of opposition to what he's doing and what he's saying and uh, and of course uh, he's traveling around the world with his message and and um, he's speaking to people that in in the opinion of many um, he has nothing in common with and and uh, these are parts of the problem well, it certainly is disturbing. You nailed it when you said that word. And I think the, it's a very carefully crafted stage. These are not just accidental ongoings and coincidences, are they? Well, of course, that's the, that's the thing. 
people, uh, there's a tendency to think that things are, are uh, random uh, and, and that uh, that it's not possible to orchestrate or control things to the extent to which it's being done. But as, as uh, Margaret Mead, the great anthropologist, once said that um, every major change in the world is done by just a few people, and you, you should never forget that. And of course, we've got the orchestration of, of uh, Obama becoming president, clearly handpicked with no experience or background whatsoever, but all of the credentials that they wanted to push uh, an extreme left-wing view, an, an anti-religious view, and um, certainly, uh, say, beyond left-wing view, in fact, pushing for destruction of the United States, undermining the economy. It's clear in all of his writings, and, and, and when you look carefully at what he says, he, he just despises America. He sees it as a, as a colonial, imperialist empire that has to be brought to its knees. And he's doing it with a very orchestrated agenda. The same is with the Pope. The Pope appeared to suddenly, as if he was, it wasn't orchestrated, when in fact it was totally orchestrated, including his choice of his name of Francis. And we've discussed that before, that here, for the first time in history, a Jesuit has become a Pope. And that, that to me, is, is not coincidental at all. And, of course, he, he's pushing the agenda of Francis of Assisi, but he's doing it um, as a green agenda. And, of course, as you, in your, in your marvelous book, have, have clearly shown that the green agenda is a, is a totally anti-Christianity and anti-religion agenda. One, by the way, that you correctly pointed out, and I, we've found more and more information about this, that was Hitler's agenda. He was, he was one of the first to, to use environment and, and eco-issues to push his, his socialist agenda. So it's very disturbing. And, of course, the, the two have hooked up now. They've hooked up uh, with the connivance of John Kerry, who um, masquerades uh, as an uh, Irish Catholic, but in fact uh, his, his family's from Central Europe and were Jewish and converted to Catholicism and changed the name to Kerry because they knew that would uh, advance them further when they got to the United States. And Kerry was the one that uh, has brought, he was the messenger that brought uh, the Pope on board with the global warming and, and environmental issue. And of course, that's part of what's going to happen when the Pope is in Washington. But also, the Pope is going to be at the... Um, conference in Paris in November at which uh, they are going to take the next step on the great socializing of the world, that is, making the developed nations pay for their supposed sins and taking that money and giving it to the developing nations in a great wealth equalization. These are all very disturbing trends. Well, not only are they disturbing trends, but there's sort of a culmination of everything coming together too. Did you see this story, Tim, on the good old Green Party leader in Canada, Elizabeth May, calling for population reduction? There's an excellent article up there at InfoWars. Here, the leader of the party wants a two-child policy similar to, as we know, the one-child policy in China. I mean, when this woman is talking about 
the world's population, and she's saying it's growing at an exponential rate. That really reminds a person of Paul Ehrlich and the gang, doesn't it? Well, exactly. And um, it's not surprising at all, because as you and I have discussed on occasion on this program, behind the whole global warming issue and all of that agenda was the overpopulation issue. That's absolutely central to the Club of Rome and all of that that uh, came out in the 1960s with the uh, Club of Rome Charter and, of course, Agenda 21, which is a totally socialist agenda for the world, orchestrated by the Club of Rome member Maurice Strong, and it's being implemented. Elizabeth May, of course, the leader of the Green Party in Canada, she goes around saying, well, no, Agenda 21 is you know, not being implemented, but it is. And then she's saying, oh, well, it's optional. Well, it isn't optional. One of the things that uh, that is going on is that, as with all of these issues, it's a global agenda, but it's done locally. You remember that phrase that came out from uh, Gro Harlem Brundtland's uh, World Future Commission, along with the things like sustainable development. And the, um, the phrase was, think globally, act locally. You remember that, that phrase that was kicking around? Yes. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, in British Columbia here, for example, uh, they have set up through their climate action plan a local climate agenda, which is in fact implementation of Agenda 21 at the municipal level. And uh, government uh, agents show up in a community and they show Al Gore's movie, Convenient Truth, and then start telling people what they're going to do, what they're going to eliminate. Um, For example, I was invited to speak to a group on Maine Island who were terrified when this government group showed up and said, look, we're we're going to eliminate cars, we're going to eliminate roads on the island, and uh, we're going to do this and do that. Well, this is all the gradual implementation of, of Agenda 21 at the local level. And you can, you can Google this. You can see that it, it's called Local Action Plans for Agenda 21. So May's argument that it's not, you know, it's, not, it's optional, it's not being implemented, is another of the, of the falsehoods that they create. Don't look at this. No, we're not doing anything. Don't worry about anything. Meanwhile, of course, through the bureaucracies, through the governments, they continue with their action. But Elizabeth May's comments about overpopulation fit exactly with Agenda 21 and the argument that the world is overpopulated. And as you said, uh, both Paul Ehrlich and his co-author, John Holdren, who, of course, is Obama's science czar. Holdren is the guy who um, was uh, arguing for uh, forced abortions, control of population in that way. And in a book uh, in 1977, they they laid out exactly how this plan would be implemented. And of course, that's the thing that um, Elizabeth May is promoting now. Yes, she is promoting it. And as a matter of fact, speaking of Elizabeth May, let's hear a clip that I was on calling Elizabeth out on her stance on Agenda 21. Now listen closely as it she says, the governments of the world have abandoned it. It doesn't exist. Let's take a listen to that call. Sheila, you're on CFAX. Go ahead. I just heard you say that Agenda 21 
is no longer in play. Could you give us more information about that, please? Since 1992, when Agenda 21 was put forward, it has gone absolutely nowhere, and it doesn't exist as a document. I mean, you could find it on a shelf, but there isn't a government in the world that's actually working on it. Montreal has actually got it on their website right now that they're implementing it. I went to the UN Earth Summit in 1992, the UN Conference on Environment Development. One of the documents that was accepted by the governments of the world was called Agenda 21. It was an agenda for the 21st century. It's an extremely long, complex document full of good ideas. Governments of the world decided to abandon, and they only have been implementing those treaties that were legally binding. And The governments of the world have passed it by. Elizabeth, you need to stop pumping lies out to the audience. Ian, shame on you for this atrocity that's on your show. It was right around there. I got cut off, but you can clearly see there's a lot of manipulation going on there. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Well, maybe on a shelf. Notice she says it's just full of good things, too. <laughs> Churning yep. out the mainstream narrative. But one of the things that's coming up here in December is, of course, the big COP21 in Paris in December. Yep. The Guardian ran a big story this week saying that, oh, the threat to oceans from climate change must be key. They're doing this major study of plankton now because it shows warmer seas could have a huge impact on, of course, the marine food chain. Well, you know a lot about this food chain, Tim. Yeah, well, well, of course, you see, one of the things is that with the global warming issue, the reason that they chose that, they chose the science because in any population, 80% of the people are, in in university terms, art students, and the other 20% are science students. And even amongst the 20%, there's a percentage of them that don't fully understand science. So they knew that by using scientific arguments, of course, Elizabeth May thinks she's an expert because she wrote a book called Global Warming for Dummies. And they deliberately did that because they knew the minute you start talking science, you there's 80% of the population are simply not going to understand you. And this is the game. And of course, then when you get into the overpopulation issue, the terminologies of demographics and how populations function and so on, um, again, pe- people are, are very, very easily bamboozled. But, but here's the point, Sheila. Um, you, you can mention all of those things. You can talk about plankton. You can talk about holes in the ozone, or you can talk about greenhouse effect. But 90% of what they present is false. In fact, more than that, 90, 98% of the information they present is false. And by the way, just to give you a measure of how little the public understand this stuff, Yale education faculty, uh, the university there, created a test, like a high school level test, on climate change and global warming. And 75% of the people that took the test failed it. 75%. And you know what they did? This is what's laughable about it. They'd obviously been paid to do the the study and to get some, uh, you know, positive results. So when they got 75% failure, they did what all of these crooked teachers do. They curved the results. So they ended up with over 50% passing. And, and this is the sorts of things. They, they are not presenting accurate information, but they don't care. They know that, that 
if somebody like myself stands up and questions it, they can threaten you with lawsuits. They can say, oh, paid by the oil companies. It's very, very easy in today's world, using the media as they do, to simply marginalize people. They do it on a general scale by saying, oh, they're conspiracy theorists, or when they, if you dare to question Obama's uh, birth or the accuracy of, of his papers, oh, you're a birther. Or they do it in individual attacks. Yeah. They will they will find something that you that, that they uh, will distort into a, a falsehood. But as with this day of the internet, once it's out there, there is no getting it back. They get it on Wikipedia. They know oh, that's the truth. But just to give you an example of how they're falsifying the data, the temperature record in every country in in the world. They have been steadily reducing the historic temperature readings. That is, going back to the readings of 100 years ago, they're making them lower. There's been lawsuits against the New Zealand government for doing this, and there's currently one in plan being planned for the Australian government. And the reason they did it was, of course, by making the older temperatures colder, it changes the slope of the temperature curve. It makes it look like it's warmed much more rapidly than it has. And by doing that, it's allowed them to say, oh, 2014 and 2015 are the warmest years on record. They're not. They're simply not. It's because they've cooked the data. And so this is the kind of falsification that's going on. I mean, I, I could do a program every, every single day and go through the media and, and pick out stories and say, okay, here's what's wrong. Here's how they've lied to you. Here's how they've cheated. But Unfortunately, it wouldn't do an awful lot of good because the public don't know enough to know who's right and who's wrong anymore. And, and that's the difficulty. So Elizabeth May, truth is not an issue. And it's back to the Saul Alinsky thing again, the rules for radicals. The end justifies the means. And if you have to lie about the science, just as you know, one of the lawsuits against me is by Michael Mann, who cooked the hockey stick graph. Yes, yes where they deliberately rewrote history. And they did it by claiming that tree rings are, are an indicator of temperature when they're not. They're an indicator of precipitation. It, within two days of my being a court date to appear in, in man's lawsuit against me, Mark Stein published a book, and it's the most incredible title of a book that you can imagine, because the title is A Disgrace to the Profession. The subtitle is The World's Scientists in Their Own Words on Michael Mann, His Hockey Stick, and Their Damage to Science. Can you imagine that being said about a scientist? I gave a presentation in Winnipeg, and afterwards they interviewed me, and I made my comments about Mann, and within nine hours I had a lawsuit. This is what's going on. So facts don't mean anything anymore. As, as Farhad Manju said in, in his book, um, you know, you, you come up with your uh, political strategy, then you go out and find the scientists that will produce the facts that you want. So true. The stunning part is how they demonize the most fundamental God-given trace gas necessary for life on this planet. And this is the stunning thing, as you just mentioned in Michael Mann's, the most famous of all climatological reconstructions there, good old Mann's hockey stick that was such yep. a bogus graph. As McKintrick found out, no matter what you crunched into it, it would produce that hockey stick yep. with the blade protruding up every time. But this is the stunning part of this. 
that in every record from any time period in the Earth's history, Tim, temperature increases before CO2 does. This is in complete contradiction to the IPCC claim that CO2 increases when temperature increases. And the most fundamental assumption of their claim is not only wrong, but the only place in the world where CO2 increases before temperature is in the computer models. Exactly. And I think that that's an important thing to talk about very briefly here, because you see, People, not only is it only about 20% that, that, that are comfortable with numbers and science, and by the way, just a little aside on that, there's a marvelous book called Descartes' Error. Now, Descartes, of course, was the French mathematician who was the French equivalent of Isaac Newton, and they both created calculus at about the same time. And one of the things that's uh, in the book, uh, it's written by a neurosurgeon, and one of the things that he noticed over 30 years of doing uh, neurosurgery and dealing with brain damage was that certain injuries to the brain created completely different characteristics in the person. And I think this is very, very important here. And he starts the book with a very, very well-known story about a highway engineer in the 19th century. Everybody loved him. He was a wonderful man, a great family man. Uh, He was a great community man. He was a very religious man. But the one dangerous job in building highways in those days was that you drilled holes into the rock, and then you put the uh, uh, dynamite sticks down into the holes, You tamp them down and you put padding in, and then, of course, you blew up the rock to build the highway. Well, that putting the gunpowder into those holes was the most dangerous uh, job that there was in highway construction. And he was such a, a good man that he did that job himself. He wouldn't let anyone else do it because there had been so many fatalities doing it. And he had a special rod made. The thing you had to watch was once you'd put the gunpowder charges down, if if your your rod was uh, created a spark, it could trigger the dynamite. And so he had done this at a particular job, and, and he put the gunpowder in. Then he got distracted and forgot that the wadding to hold the gunpowder down in place wasn't there. So he drove the rod in to push the what he thought wadding was in there, it wasn't. He he drove the rod in, it created a spark and blew the rod right back out through the hole and right through his skull. It went into his eye socket and through his frontal brain uh, lobes. Uh, he survived it. They removed the uh, rod and he survived, but his personality had changed completely. He never swore before, and yet swearing became a central part of his language. He got to the point where his family left him. Everybody hated him. He lost his job. Now, this is what is talked about in this book by this neurosurgeon. And what the neurosurgeon points out is that the two hemispheres of our brain, one of them is pattern recognition. The other half is the abstract half of your brain. And uh, depending on which one of those is dominant, this goes back to the earlier point we were talking about with regard to 
people that are science capable and people that are art students, well, if, if the pattern recognition of your brain is more dominant than the abstract portion, then you are, are uh, usually mathematically oriented or you have musical abilities. And of course, what you and I know and everybody knows is if you get somebody that is so brilliant in terms of mathematics and science, we call them nerds. They're the computer whizzes, but their social skills are virtually zero. The classic example, of course, that everybody knows was Mozart. Clearly, his pattern recognition half of his brain was unbelievable to the point where he listened to a completely new piece of music that had never been before. before. Uh, this was in the city of Plymouth in England. And it was an hour-long piece of music. He went back to his hotel and played the whole piece complete on the piano in the hotel after only hearing it once. Now, that's the example of the domination of that left-hand side of the brain. And so what the neurosurgeon is arguing is that people like Descartes, who, of course, created the Cartesian system, that is the grid system that the GPS and all the rest of the things work on, that they tend to lack humanity and human traits. Mozart, certainly, his social skills, I mean, the whole movie about Mozart, Amadeus, played that up considerably. That's another part of the problem. And, of course, with the advent of computers, creating all of these controls on society and programs about how the society runs, these are the people that are running the world. And, and that is truly frightening. If you think about Alan Greenspan, for example, who was the former Federal Reserve Chair, of course, the whole collapse of the economy in, in 2008 was all because of his policies. And they dragged him before the uh, Markman Committee of, of the uh, U.S. Congress to explain what had gone wrong. And they said to him, well, what happened? He very calmly said, well, my computer model was wrong. You know, how long have you been using the computer model? 40 years. For 40 years, he was using a computer model that was doomed to failure. And it led to the world to failure. But because it was computer, because it was done with numbers, it was sacrosanct. And that's the problem that these people are, are using and doing. So when you get into the computer modelers and, and the use of uh, climate models, and you, you mentioned about the, um, and I'll get back to the scientific method in a minute, one of the ways that we know that what the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change are doing is that they say that the world is going to warm up. That's their prediction, but they don't call it a prediction. They call it a projection. They've been making these since 1990. Every single one they have made has been wrong. Every single one. Yet they're still going to go to Paris in November and December and say, oh, no, this is what's going to happen in the future. Yet they have been wrong on every prediction. And not only that, but every computer model prediction of the weather has been wrong. The U United Kingdom this summer said it was going to be hot and dry. They had another of the coldest, wettest summers on record. Their, their forecasting is so bad that even the BBC have said, we're not going to take your weather forecast anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's really I, bad when the BBC is ousting you. 
Oh, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yes. When, when the left wing get rid of the left wing, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> but but uh, back to the, the original point about the scientific method. Scientists work by what they call hypothesis. That is the layman term for it would be speculation. So a scientist will say, well, if this and this and this is true, then this could happen. Well, the this and this and this is true are assumptions. So a scientist makes a string of assumptions from which and on which they say this could be the result. Now, just to give you, uh, and, and that then, the hypothesis is also known then as a theory. What happens in proper science is immediately other scientists start challenging it. But they don't challenge the hypothesis. They challenge the assumptions. Now, let me give you an example of one that people can relate to. Einstein's theory of relativity. One of the assumptions that it makes is that nothing can go faster than the speed of light. All right? So scientists don't attack the end product of his theory, which is the formula E equals MC squared, the most famous formula in the world, they don't attack that because it's mathematically correct because it's, it's calculated by logic from the assumptions. So what you do is you try to show that the assumptions on which the formula is based are wrong. One of those uh, letters in the formula, and the, the, the formula is really just a sentence where you've got symbols representing words, so that the, the letter C in the formula is the speed of light, all right? So scientists are out there trying to find something in the universe going faster than the speed of light. And the physics journals have been full of these debates since Einstein published his theory in 1912. And there are some that claim they found things going faster than the speed of light. Well, if that turns out to be true, then Einstein's relativity theory is completely out the window. Now, you think about that, the other famous theory, Darwin's theory. Well, Darwin's theory was based on a whole set of assumptions, many of which Darwin himself, as you and I have discussed, he knew they weren't correct. For example, one of them was that change is very gradual over long periods of time. But he did that because of the threat that he was getting from society. Well, with the global warming theory, they made a certain set of assumptions. And one of them that you identified in the preamble to this discussion was that if CO2 increases, the global temperature will increase. That is absolutely fundamental to their whole claim that humans are causing global warming and causing climate change. When the first bit of evidence that that CO2 did not cause a temperature change, a temperature change caused a CO2 change, it came out in 1991. A graph was produced of CO2 levels and temperature levels from ice cores in the Antarctic ice. And it covered 420,000 years and it showed the temperature going up and down and it showed the CO2 level going up and down. And I remember very distinctly the French scientist Jousel, J-O-U-Z-E-L, and Pettit was his partner. And Jousel said, when he came out, he said, don't rush to judgment on this. 
he said, you're looking at, a, at about a, a well, he, he would have said it in centimeters, but it was a, a four inch long graph of 420,000 years where they had smoothed the curve by 70 years to eliminate a lot of the, uh, to make it more readable. And he said, don't rush to judgment. Well, they rushed to judgment. They grabbed it and said, there it is. See, the CO2 is going up and down. The temperature is going up and down. There's proof of it. Within five years, it was shown that the temperature was changing before CO2, not as they had assumed. Yet they continue to push this false narrative. And as you pointed out, the only place in the world where a CO2 increase causes a temperature increase is in the computer models that they wrote to fool the world into believing that CO2 is a problem. And so they completely misused, abused, deliberately misused the scientific method. And the way that the scientific method works, as I said, is normally a hypothesis put out, it's immediately challenged. It's what the great scientific philosopher Karl Popper said. It's falsifiability. You try to disprove the theory. You don't try to prove it. But what they did with the IPCC was they set about proving the theory. And anything that came up that showed that it disproved it, they immediately attacked it, marginalized it. In fact, they created two websites deliberately to do just that. One of them was called Real Climate, and it was set up by Gavin Schmidt, who's now the head of NASA GIS and, and is cooking the climate data. Yes. And the other was set up by a John Cook. Cook of course, it's the guy that created the false argument that 97% of scientists agree. It's called skeptical science. And both of these sites were designed to try and uh, discount evidence that showed that their hypothesis was wrong. So not only have they not done science properly, but they thwarted people who are trying to do science properly. Now think about it, it uh, that comment this way. If you're a proper scientist, you are naturally and by requirement a skeptic. That is, the minute a hypothesis is put out, you are skeptical about it. Okay? But what did they do? Oh, global warming. Well, I, I got problems with that, say I. Oh, that Tim Ball. Yeah, well, he's a global warming skeptic. And I say, yes, I, yes, I am. Oh, well, you see those skeptics because the word skeptic to the public is very different in general use than it is for science, okay? Now, the fact that they were trying to prove their theory, Richard Lindzen at MIT picked up on that very, very quickly and early. And he was on the IPCC at the time, and he quit later on because of what they were doing. And he came out and made the comment, and this, this is, uh, what, 1995, he made the comment. He said, you know, the, the consensus was reached before the research had even begun. Wow. Okay, what did he mean by that? Well, the research was the testing of the theory, the trying to falsify it, as Karl Popper said. And, uh, of course, as the evidence came in, it contradicted the theory, and they, they did public campaigns to not only attack the people that dared to raise the points, but also then to, to present lies about what they were saying. One of the most damaging pieces of, pro of evidence they had was that in about the year 2000, it became evident that the temperature was starting to level off and go down. And by 2004, 
it had had five years where the temperature had not increased at all. But their problem was that the CO2 level was still going up. In other words, the evidence was completely contradicting their basic assumption and their theory. But instead of doing what proper scientists would do and saying, wait, our science is wrong. We better go back and uh, uh, correct our science. They didn't do that. They changed the name. They stopped calling it global warming. They started calling it climate change. That was done deliberately. And we know it was done deliberately because the emails that were leaked from the Climatic Research Center in East Anglia, where these people were operating, there's an email that says, you know, uh, the public are, are starting to ask questions. We got these cold winters and, and they're starting to say, well, oh, this, this contradicts. Even if they don't understand the science, they're starting to realize there's something, something wrong here. And so it, it would be much easier if we just started calling it climate change which is exactly what they did. So all of their all of their machinations are documented of how they totally and absolutely misuse science. But as I said, they can get away with it because most people haven't got a clue what the scientific method is or how, how science works in any way, shape, or form. But you brought up a great point, Tim, and it's this, that every one of their predictions has been wrong. And let's face it, if your predictions are wrong, your science is wrong. Yet they yeah. still continue to yeah. spew out this propaganda to the seemingly duped, ill-advised masses because they think that people are stupid. But here's the thing, people are not stupid, as you just alluded to when they tried to get rid of the medieval warming period. I mean, it's yeah. amazing that they will continue to churn out this. It's the hottest five years on record from 2010 to 2015, and yet it's an absolute lie. This has been tapering off and cooling for yep. 17 years. But you mentioned science and people knowing yep. science because President Obama talks about carbon pollution. He thinks yep. he's saying carbon dioxide pollution, but carbon, it's a yep. black solid. It, whereas it's soot. It's soot, and yet carbon yep. dioxide is a gas. Exactly. But he doesn't even know that. But he doesn't want to know that. What he wants to know is, if I say soot or carbon, and, and I say pollution, then immediately everybody's going to be on my side. Oh, oh, look at that Obama. He's saving the planet. Yeah. No, but, the, but this, is, this is the deception. And, but what's, what's worse about it, in many ways, is that Obama doesn't know, but he doesn't want to know. All he wants is what works for his political agenda. No matter if it's a lie, it doesn't matter. And of course, we get then back into Hitler's big lie. The bigger the lie, the more people will believe it. The more often you repeat it, the more credibility, then the more people will believe it. And that's exactly what's going on. It, it really is, is disturbing. They've got all these other guys that jump on board all the time. I mean, when did... Arnold Schwarzenegger become a climatologist because, of course, the UK Guardian had a story not long ago where he went to this massive climate summit of conscious in Paris just not that many weeks ago. And he said, you know, I believe the science is in, the debate is over, yeah. and the time for action is now. That is out of his mouth. And this is what he went on to say, and I thought it was so ridiculous. This is bigger than any movie. I've starred in a yeah. lot of science fiction movies, and let me tell you, Climate change is not science fiction, but it's a battle that is the most impactful battle 
right now. But this is the thing. They get these idiots like Leonardo yep. DiCaprio and now the Pope putting his moral authority, the big rock star Pope, according to Time magazine, touting him man of the year. People say, well, you know, they don't really know what they're doing. Oh, these guys, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, they do know what they're what they're doing because, of course, it, you you get on the bandwagons. That's how. That's where the money is. That's where the power is. Which what, what's the bandwagon I want to leap on today? And of course, uh, what, what your skill has got to be in, in knowing when the bandwagon's going to crash and you, you get off at the right time. But but the hypocrisy of it. Uh, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger made a name by grossly distorting his body, pumping iron. And he probably used steroids as well because it was, wasn't was seen as a great danger when he was doing it. And this whole, and the movies he made were absolute trash, playing up on the most basic and, and awful aspects of humanity that the devil puts into people. And then he became the governor of California where he was a, he claimed he was a Republican, uh, didn't act like a Republican at all, ran the state into the ground, then divorced from his wife because he was he was having an affair with his maid. This is a person that you want as a leader that you want to listen to. I mean this this is these are shameless. I read yesterday that, that Pamela Anderson was uh, was making statements about climate change. Oh, I mean God. please <laughs> uh, please, uh, it just is. It, it, but but the other part of it, of course, is you see. Look at Leonardo DiCaprio. Five houses, probably worth multi millions of dollars, but telling everybody else, "Oh no, you can't have this. You can't have our a large carbon footprint. You can't live the way I do." Uh, I mean, I th I think one of the biggest sins of of all is hypocrisy, and and uh, they're all full of it. And of course, when when you look at how people. Uh, will tolerate incredibly bad politicians because they know they're all useless. But the one thing that will will uh, bring them down is hypocrisy with Al Gore. We were showing all of the science that was wrong in his movie. There was a court case that showed there were nine major scientific errors and it was a piece of political propaganda. And that movie came out, uh, or that, that ruling, court ruling came out a week before he got the Nobel Prize. But none of that affected him. What did affect him was when somebody went and got his hydro bill or his electricity bill and found out that his carbon footprint was 20 times larger than the average American. That got everybody angry. The hypocrisy is the one thing that will bring these people down. But how much hypocrisy uh, has it got to be in today's world? Because being a mild hypocrite, it's become the normal. We raked in a whopping $7 billion plus, and he generated an average of $200,000 per global warming speaking engagement. He was, yep. And he's still pulling in an exorbitant lucre from his inconvenient truths, or perhaps more accurately, Tim, convenient lies. Even though he was out there saying sea levels are all rising, he bought a deluxe oceanfront property in the San Francisco Bay Area. You alluded to the, the Nashville company that said, you know, this guy's carbon footprint is... His one yep. month of consumption is like most people's one year consumption. I mean, he is the biggest yep. windbag out there. And yet he continues yep. to spew out this climate crisis. I mean, here's the most ridiculous thing. They use the word climate change, but the climate's been changing since God made the climate. Exactly. I mean, it's so ridiculous. They're using a yep. term that is, it's like, duh, the climate yep. changes. 
Yeah, but but you notice that there's there's a commonality. I don't care whether you're talking about the Pope or the President of the United States or Al Gore. We're talking about leaders, and what you've got in, in today's world are professional leaders. They're not people with leadership quality. This is one of the things that is so interesting about Carly Fiorina, where she's saying, you know, these are not leaders. These are people that, that all they're doing is taking you astray. They're not leading you. And, and, and of course, this is what Al Gore did. You now have professional politicians that don't know how to lead, but they know how to take over leadership. And there's a huge difference. And you take over leadership by presenting a false image of who you are and what you represent. You pick the bandwagon on which you're going to ride. And, of course, this is what Al Gore did. He chose the, the global warming agenda. Everything else he, he tried was failed. He had failed. He, he, even, he even flunked out of divinity school which doesn't surprise me at all, by the way, but he flunked out of divinity school. He took a course, an environmental course at university and got a D. And yet he's within a, a 1,500 votes of being the president of the United States. Yikes. And the man is an absolute fraud. Uh, but they're masters at uh, getting into the political game, lying, pushing their agenda, Picking the issues that are going to push people's buttons, play on people's emotions. It's exploitation of people and their emotions and fears of absolutely the worst kind. And of course, then when they get into power, they are completely unscrupulous. I got a call a, a few months ago from uh, a guy who does a science program on Romanian TV. And he said, uh, you know, he said, I didn't realize how we were only getting one side of the uh, climate change argument and issue. And he said, I, I stumbled across some of your stuff and started reading it and realized. And so he asked me if I would do programs. And I, I ended up doing, uh, I think it was, it ended up as either five or six one hour programs where we talked about uh, all of the science and, and everything that was wrong with it. And, and while we were talking about it, I said, well, I thought that after, well, say, I know after the uh, Soviet's collapse occurred that all of the countries like Romania and so on pretended to go to democracy. And I said, what I saw was that very few of them did. What happened was the former communist leaders simply suddenly overnight became Democrats and continued in power. And he said, that's exactly what happened in Romania. And you go and look at all of the people, all of the names, was the same hustlers, the, the communist left-wing liars that took over and pretended to be Democrats and are still in power in those countries. And that's the problem we've got in the world. People given true leadership qualities by God are simply pushed aside, um, cannot win because they have a conscience, have an honesty, which of course is what everybody's looking for. And this is what Washington and Jefferson were talking about. I mean, Washington said, if, you, if, if your leader is not a moral person, don't ever elect them. They, they've got to have a morality to them. And yet that we've got exactly the opposite. What do you want to hear? That's what I'll tell you. What will get me in power? That's what I'll do.
And unfortunately, it's across the world. And, and of course, what's interesting is most of them know it. That, that old communist shoes-banging Khrushchev, he actually said politicians of the world over. He said they'll, they'll promise you a bridge and build you a bridge where there isn't even a river. <laughs> he, he knew, he knew what, what was going on. What's Sorry. really frightening, though, is in just under 10 days, good old Pope Francis yep. is advocating a new global political authority to tackle so-called man-made climate change. And yep. I guess here's the very frightening possibility. I mean, because it sounds that one world climate authority sounds eerily similar to, guess who, Alice Bailey, the hardcore Luciferian who wrote the 24 volumes of the occult. I mean, whether it's Helena Blavatsky, these Freemasons, Manly P. Hall, yep. they all talked about a one world order. And so yep. it's very frightening that they're trying to implement a one world authority. And how nice that it can be a one world climate authority. Isn't that benevolent? Yep. Well, of course, one, one of the things that uh, they were confronted with, and, and un unfortunately, it was created by another uh, socialist, Woodrow Wilson, the, the League of Nations, and uh, which is the forerunner to the United Nations. And then, of course, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt uh, with her sexual proclivities and so involved with the UN. But, but at the Treaty of Versailles, which was probably one of the most destructive treaties in the history of the world. Uh, but at that, they set up the League of Nations, and of course, nations was the key word. And you created nation states, and nation states, not a bad idea that each, each cultural group that could identify it as a separate nation should have a state, and uh, you see the conflict uh, where you've got nations that are national groups that don't have a state, like the Kurds, who were deliberately broken up because they were the scourge of Central Asia. They were the original Mongol hordes. And Winston Churchill, the ruthless uh, way that he dealt with it was that he, he carved them up between uh, a third of them in, in Syria, a third of them in Turkey, and a third of them in northern Iraq. And, of course, they've wanted the state of Kurdistan ever since. But the problem for the current One World Order people are those individual nations. And so they had to get uh, threats to the world that were literally global. It's sort of like uh, Orson Welles' uh, radio program, or the Martian invasion, which he simulated on, every, on the radio and everybody thought was real. And, of course, everybody, everybody started talking to each other. And uh, the point he was making was that you've got to have an outside threat uh, to make people listen to you and be able to control them. And that, that's what they've all done. That's what Hitler did. Who was the outside or internal threat was the Jews. Idi Amin, who was the threat? The East Indian shopkeepers. Everywhere, at these dictators always find a central congealing agency that, that, that brings everybody together to allow you to control them. And, and so, of course, the problem for the One World Order people of the Club of Rome was you had to have something that overarched the nation, national boundaries. Overpopulation was one of them. Al Gore orchestrated the first world conference on overpopulation in Cairo in the 1990s. And he was a keynote speaker at it. And at that conference, they introduced... The population control section of Agenda 21 from the UN Charter. 
that's where it was brought in and terms like transgenerational which meant oh no you're destroying the future for the children and, and all of this sort of stuff but they had to have something that crossed national boundaries so that they could then argue that no one nation is capable of resolving this problem that it has to be a world government centralized in the power of a very few people. So that's why climate change and the global warming became the central issue. They're working on the, the next one now, by the way, which of course is, is water. That's why they've been playing up the uh, artificially increasing the falsehood about the drought in California or the severity of it and, and on all of these things. But but that that's the uh, the issue. Now in Paris, of course, they brought the Pope in on that because they were going to introduce the first thing that's necessary to have a global government is funding. And the United Nations doesn't have specific taxing powers. It only functions on the basis of the money that individual governments are prepared to give it. Now, of course, the Americans, in their goodness and kindness, have given in most of the money only to see it used against them. And, and the Kyoto Protocol was set up to bring in a world carbon tax. The developed nations, as I talked about at the beginning of the program, the developed nations were supposed to pay for their sins of producing CO2 and, and causing climate change. And that money was then to go to the developing nations that were being were be, were suffering from the damage done to them by these developed uh, nations. Global carbon tax was going to be introduced with the International Monetary Fund as the central banking agency for it at the Copenhagen Climate Conference, COP15. The one in Paris is COP21. So it's just uh, the ongoing uh, political scam to set up this one world government, one world tax. Now, what happened at Copenhagen was just prior to it, somebody at the climatic research unit with a conscience knew the science was false and leaked all of the emails showing how they had cooked the whole scientific data. Now, that put the Kyoto Protocol on its heels a lot of people had no idea what was going on or why it was done or what happened, but there were enough people that realized that they were cooking the books on the climate and using it for their political agenda that, that it stopped the Kyoto Protocol in its tracks. Now, the politicians didn't do it by saying, oh, well, look, these guys are cheats and crooks. What they did was they, they used a cop-out. They said, oh, well, it's going to cause a loss of jobs and hurt the economy. Yeah, we want to save the environment. We want to appear green. The job loss and the, the damage to the economy is, is, is a more immediate problem that we've got to deal with first. That's how they did it. Now, since then, of course, they've tried to reinstitute the Kyoto Protocol. And that is precisely what's going to happen in Paris. And that's why they're putting everything behind it. That's why Obama has sent a global warming or climate change czar out around the world, an ambassador around the world, pushing the whole climate agenda for Paris. That's why they've got the Pope involved uh, of using his supposed moral uh, goodness and moral arguments. A lot of people are not aware that they've already set up the banking mechanism for this. They created what's called the green account 
and it's in a bank in South Korea. The Canadian government, for example, have already put $200 million into it. Why on earth would any government put billions of dollars into a bank account in South Korea? And yet that is what is happening. Because they've got to get people believing uh, uh, the lies ready for Paris. So that, that's sort of some of the background of what's happening here. Well, and I think it is going to be incredible what happens, not just September 24th when the Pope addresses the UN, but COP21 in Paris is going to be quite frightening. Yep. Well, of course, you know, you see, one of the things that, um, that they very cleverly did uh, when they set up the Agenda 21, Maurice Strong reintroduced something that, that had been created during the League of Nations. And, of course, with all of this, oh, yeah, you know, great socialism, we've got to include everybody, they created a thing called NGO, which you now know is, is, is the non-government organizations. This was set up to give people a voice. People that didn't have, weren't represented by, uh, you know, politics or a political group. And, of course, Maurice Strong saw that as a vehicle for bringing in the groups that he wanted. And to, to uh, illustrate how effective that has been, they were the major participants in the 1992 conference in Rio, uh, where the Agenda 21 was introduced. And they are the major participants in uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Over half of the people on that are members of Greenpeace, members of Sierra Club. And at the last COP meeting, COP20, there were 6,000 people there. 3,500 of them were NGOs. They didn't represent uh, any of the people they were they were pure environmental activists at those meetings controlling through their sheer numbers what was going on this is all part of the of the political shenanigans the propaganda the persuasion of and manipulation of people's minds that is going on it's pure deception and of course yep. it continues on and this really is the devil's work Tim I want to thank you so much for coming by the program today it is always such a pleasure to have you weigh in it's going to get very interesting disturbingly interesting but interesting nonetheless Tim thank you so much for coming on well thank you Sheila thanks for the opportunity and, and congratulations on your book people are becoming aware the frustration is they don't understand the degree of it and they really don't know what to how to deal with it well, and hopefully the book can point people in the right direction on how to deal with it. It certainly does start with being aware of the problem. Tim, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks, Tim. Folks, that was Dr. Timothy Ball, the renowned climatologist, weighing in on the Pope, the green agenda, the climate issue, what's coming, and much more. Keep your eyes on what this Pope is doing. It's going to get very interesting very fast. We have an amazing show this week. We have Chuck Baldwin, James Manning, Nathan Leal, Carla Butad on Friday. It's going to be a fantastic week. And remember, there's been a few changes on the website. Go to weekendvigilante.com. Check out some of the new changes. Let us know what you think. And let me know how you like the intro we're playing around with trying to update and streamline some things, including the app is now available. 
And they tell me within the week, all the archives will get updated on that app as well. So it'll be a lot more convenient for you, the listener. Thanks so much for tuning into the broadcast tonight, folks. Good night and God bless.